This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, hosted by yours truly, the one and only Natty Boss, lifelong athlete, sports dietitian, breathwork facilitator, personal development junkie, and holistic performance coach. This podcast is here to change the paradigm of what it means to be a high-performance athlete. The intention and mission of this podcast is to help you create freedom, clarity, and balance in your life while giving you the tools to heal yourself, improve your well-being, and optimize performance. I believe that in order to reach our highest potential in this human experience, we must unlearn and let go of everything we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves and the world so that we can truly tap into what our divine path is and have the courage to pursue the curriculum of our soul. It's my hope that after every episode, you feel activated and empowered to make change in your life that supports you in operating from a place of alignment of who you're meant to be. Get ready for major shifts and transformation. It's time to dive in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. In today's episode, we are chatting with Liz Gleedel, who is a three-time Olympian in Javelin. And I'm really excited to dive into her story. I'm going to give you a little bit of her background and what she's working on. And we're going to have a beautiful conversation to just share a little bit about her experience as a high performer and what she is contributing in addition to currently uh, preparing for the 2024 Paris Olympics. So a little about Liz. As I said, she's a three-time Olympian in Javelin, and she also has a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology as her foundation. She's and her journey is a testament to holistic well-being, integrating nutrition, sensory visualization, resilience training, meditation, yoga, and dance. And you know that goes hand in hand with everything I do on this podcast, which is why I wanted to have her on as soon as I saw her on Instagram, the holistic approach that she has as a high performer. I knew she was somebody I wanted to share with you guys. So I'm really excited for you to hear a little bit from her. She had a retirement, quote unquote, in uh, 2022. And upon having that retirement, she had this transformative epiphany where she recognized the profound influence of emotions on posture, movement quality, and power production. And this revelation has fueled her dedication to rewiring body and mind to cultivate peak emotional state. And I'm really excited to have the conversation of this new transformation that she experienced recently and how she's applying that to her approach and training for 2024 Olympics. So it's going to be really fun. She has lots of different programs that she runs, such as Win the Morning, which has earned global acclaim and some new recent ventures, which we'll dive into called the power of daily wins, the physiology of gratitude, which are sought after by universities and corporates corporate companies like Google, Spotify, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So we'll definitely dive into that. And her passion extends to teaching her unique training methods through the Body Church Workshop, which we will get more information and insight on as well, which includes a self-paced sensory exploration that enhances awareness, grace, and athleticism. And of course, last but not least, she is and has co-founded rather the Connection Initiative Foundation, which is a not-for-profit that unites body awareness, emotional literacy, dance, team chemistry, with the aim of building holistic, high-performance communities. And she's based out of Vancouver, Canada. So there's so much to this beautiful human, and I'm so excited to dive in. Thank you, Liz, for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. 
Yes. So I don't think you need any more of an introduction. <laughs> no, I think you, you really nailed it. I was like, wow, this is great. Hearing it from someone else. I feel special. Right I know. Now. Right? <laughs> so it's not every day that my listeners get a chance to speak with an Olympian. And, you know, obviously there's numerous facets to who you are other than just being an Olympian, but just being attaining that level requires a lot of mental and physical and emotional just sacrifice and development. And so it just is really fitting for this conversation, but I think it's, it's a great place to start to just hear a little bit about your story, but led you down the path to the Olympics because not everybody has that opportunity. So I'd love to hear how that unfolded for you. Yeah. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm six foot one and I used to be a softball player. So I actually just uh, found my jacket from the 10,000 pitch club from when I was 12 years old and I put it on and it still fits. Um, <laughs> It, yeah. And that's the thing about throwing is that once you learn the throwing mechanism, it's easier to convert it to other types of throws. And in fast pitch, which is underhand, it really promotes using your lower body to produce power. And mm -hmm. in baseball, we often kind of default to upper body and, you know, you have to like, you do use your legs, but it's just something that when you're going overhand, you just naturally use your upper body more. And so when I picked up a javelin in grade eight gym class, it was, I just kind of looked at it and I thought, okay, it's a, it's a stick. It's not a ball. It's not going to fly like a ball. And I kind of just put it on a line. And I was the only kid in my grade eight class who didn't hit themselves in the back of the head or flipped a javelin. And so my gym teacher comes up to me and she's Pan American Games bronze medalist from Hammer. And she said, you should come out for the track team. So I said, sure. And it kind of just you know, in high school and track in Canada, it's kind of, you just mess around for two months a year, twice a week. And then when I was in the 10th grade, I ended up going to my provincial championships. And that's when all grades eight through 12 competed together. And as a grade 10, I came third. And then someone came up to me and said, oh, congrats. You know, there's, there's provincial championships for your age group in the club system. You should go. I thought, oh, okay. So I went and I won. Someone else comes up to me and say, congratulations. You've made the the British Columbia team. You can go to nationals. I said, we have nationals. <laughs> and I went to nationals thinking I was going to get my butt whooped. And I won. Okay. And I just, I was like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. And I didn't realize how good I was at, at it. And it just very kind of slowly progressed where within a year I was, well, not slowly progressing there, but to the Olympics. I, within a year, I was the world, um, sorry, world. I went to world youth and I was fifth in the world. And I had the Canadian youth record. And then I went to university in Canada because in the U.S., you guys often try and convert javelin throwers to athletes, which was not what I was about at that point in time. I was a thrower through and through. And I kind of just went away at it at the university. I just plucked away. But I was also partying, studying, doing everything. And then there was just this point where in 2008, I realized I was half a meter off of the Olympic standard. And I thought, oh, I didn't even realize how close I was. And I thought, I'm not trying very hard. I could be trying harder. <laughs> and so I kind of started getting it to my mind to start going after it. And then in 2011, I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I, I'd moved forward in qualifying, but the standard had risen. Mm. And I decided to pack up my whole life, move to Lethbridge, away from Vancouver, drove the 12 hours there. And I trained 10 times a week between Monday and Friday, 10 lifts, 10 throw sessions everything else. And I kind of just wholeheartedly dove in I put school on hold. I left my friends, my family, my relationships. And I was just like, this is what I want. I don't care what else happens. I'm doing this over everything. 
And how old and, were you at this point? Uh, I was 22, 21, okay. 22. Yeah. And I trained for a year. I survived a, a really ridiculous injury. I got hit by a track and field hammer thrown by the Canadian record holder for men. Uh, it actually, it's like a 16 pound ball on the end of a wire hit my leg and I couldn't walk for four weeks, but 11 weeks later, I broke the Canadian records. I qualified for the Olympics and then I ended up making the Olympic final. And that was kind of my journey to making my first Olympics. Wow. That's incredible. How did it feel to be like on the, in the Olympics, but like on the podium essentially, right? Did you make the podium? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I wish. I actually, it was funny. I, I planned meticulously and I visualized myself making the Olympic final because that seemed like, you know, a, a year before I was like, well, I just want to make the Olympics. And I was like, no, I'm going to make the final. Yeah. But then when I got to the final, I thought, now what? I didn't really plan me on this point. Like I'd achieved <laughs> everything I'd, I'd seen myself achieve and I still threw well in the final. Yeah. but it wasn't nearly enough to get a medal. And yeah. it was interesting that I'd only seen myself to a certain place. Mm, I love that. I love that you speak to that because it's, it's a concept we talk about kind of a lot and it can apply again to every sport, but kind of this idea of where you set your sights, you can absolutely achieve through that visualization process. But we realize we once we attain it, that we actually can go so much greater, but sometimes we don't just shoot so grand because it just feels so far away or maybe there's limiting beliefs like we're not capable of it and or we just don't know any different like realize that this that did seem like a far-reaching goal and we reached it but then once we got there we're like wow I could totally shoot so much higher next time yeah absolutely I love that so you obviously did the Olympics for the first time and then you did it a few more times or two more times rather after that And what led you to retire in 2022? So I, in 2016, I, well, 2013, I had this horrific back injury and I took a year off to rehab it. And then after 10 months of nothing, but like really tedious, really lightweight rehab and two months of javelin throwing, I broke the Canadian record by three meters. And I thought, that's interesting. I didn't have to murder myself with training. And I threw further. Oh so, my God, I just got goosebumps because this is my freaking life mission. So I'm so excited to hear this. Yeah. And that was, I was working with the physio for years and I'd go back and forth with my coach where we'd try and add load because like weightlifting does have its time, its place. And like, it is useful. Um, but then we were having trouble all working together where we'd say, okay, we need to know if you want me to do a split jerk next cycle, then I need to prepare this cycle to do a split jerk. It's a highly complex movement. I need to coordinate my feet, which aren't functioning properly. My overhead press needs to be clean. Everything needs to be clean going into that. And it was just really challenging to all work together with this older version of training that really emphasizes intense hard work versus a lot of finesse. Mm. And I was, you know, we worked, we kind of made it work for a couple of years and leading up to the 2016 Olympics, oh man, there's videos of me throwing and it's so beautiful. And it was just like, it was so through the point. It was so perfect. And then I got a spinal cord injury. I was doing cleans. I forgot to hook grip and I just, I lifted up and I launched myself off the platform and landed on my hips. And this was in March of 2016. And it just screwed my coordination in my lower legs for about two and a half months. And it's amazing because I still qualified for the Olympics, but I truly thought that I was going to throw this massive throw, like high sixties. That would have been enough to win me the medal handily. And I was really heartbroken after I thought, man, like I was ready. 
I've, I did all the right things. I had the routines. My fitness was on point. Like I was moving really cleanly. My throat looked really good. My body felt healthy. I was ready. And then it just felt like it just got taken away in this one moment. Yeah. So I talked with my family and I was like, I'm going to do another Olympics. And they agreed to support me. And every year it was like something ridiculous happened. 2017, I had major psychological issues because I felt so good, but I was so tense that I couldn't produce power properly because I was so tense. Yes. 2018, my life just fell apart. I broke up with the guy I was with for three and a half years. I hurt my arm. I made a really bad financial decision. I had some like family stuff go on and I was just like, okay, um, like, I guess this isn't happening this year. Yeah. 2019, I didn't have a warm up going into world championships because there was some logistical issues. And four days before I'd broken the Canadian record in four out of the six throws that I'd taken in practice. It wasn't official, but I was like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. 2020 pandemic. And then 2021 had this beautiful warm up outside the stadium. I was meditating all the time. I was visualizing. I felt healthy. Everything was good. And then when I got inside the stadium, I tripped on my first throw, which sometimes happens, but my brain was in my arm and it wasn't through the whole global system of what the throw should feel like. I was hyper-focused on this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. My second throw, I mistook someone else's green marker for my own and I turned sideways too soon and it changed my runway and I salvaged the throw, but it wasn't a great throw. Yeah. And then third throw, it was 30 minutes after my second and I was cooled down. And I thought, I went through all of that, like all this last five years for this, like, you yeah. gotta be kidding me. Like I, I did, I did everything right. Like there's no one doing more right than me. You don't, there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough education. Like it's like, I'm doing it. Yeah. And I was going to retire. And then I thought, you know what? There's been so many things in track I haven't done because I've just been busy, like must recover, must be here, must not go out, must like just hyper-focused on every single recovery and performance aspect. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna have a year of fun. I'm gonna throw far enough to make worlds, which is not exceedingly challenging for me. And I'm gonna like travel, train with javelin throwers better than me, have all the fun, eat the food, drink the beer, go on the trip, get quite not enough sleep. And I had an amazing year. I not only I had an amazing year. When I was in Finland, I was sick. I was underslept. Um, it was 11 degrees. It was pouring rain. It was a swimming pool outside. Oh and I threw to the centimeter the same distance as the year before in my best competition with an injured foot as well. <laughs> wow. And I thought, I think there's something to just like relaxing and having fun, but not even just relaxing, having fun, but like pure enjoyment. Mm. And that was really interesting. I like, I had to sit that with that for a bit. And I thought, well, I can't make a strategy for just having fun. Like there's no like science backing, like this is yeah. how you have the fun and this is and how it is after performance. <laughs> So yeah, I'm now forgetting the original question that you asked me, but that was kind of like what, what I was going through at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's perfect. And yeah, it was more so like describing that point of where you were thinking about retiring if you didn't quite yeah. officially retire and you kind of touched on a little bit of the preparation process mentally and physically kind of prior to retiring, like those, um, years in the, the Olympics, but we can probably circle back to that because yeah. the whole point of me kind of intri uh, being interested in that part of it was the contrast of having had that transformative moment and in your perspective, what that contrast was of like how you're approaching things now versus how you approach things then. So I think, I think we can circle yeah. back to that 
So let's okay. dive into <laughs> Yeah. So let's dive into that like transformative moment. Was it that that moment about play and fun, or was did it go a little bit deeper? And how you know? Let's. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So I retired because I thought, well, I've kind of done it now. I've done everything I've ever wanted to do in track, minus like the performance piece, and that's something that a lot of athletes never get. And so I was ready to like I was ready to make peace with that truly. And I knew that I could throw further, but life is short. I'm turning 35 this year. And I thought, you know, there's so many beautiful things to experience in life and I don't want it to be all javelin. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, I basically spent the last 12 years looking at everything high performance. That's what I did between training sessions. I'd listen to two to three podcasts a day. I read books on performance, mental performance. I've done yoga since I was 15. I create my own yoga routines. Like I write my own nutrition programs. I know I've been writing my own program with the help of my physio for the last four years. This year I'm doing it almost with basically just consultants. And I was I basically just sequestered myself away. I had an input diet where really simple food, music that was just like positive and not a lot of lyrics a lot of the time because I wanted to have my own thoughts. Yes. Um, I talked to about four or five people. I barely left my house. I just wrote and thought and did yoga. That's all I did. And then in January, I thought, okay, I'm going to myself a little cabin just get away from the house and you know get away from things that pull my attention and got my cousin's cabin and I went out and I was writing all these articles and I was just putting it together and after a couple days I thought yeah I'm kind of tired I'm gonna do a little bit of yoga before bed some easy yoga I thought oh I'll do a quick meditation I'll do a gratitude meditation it's been a minute I've done 10 day silent meditation retreat before and I've done a lot of meditation thought this would be really nice so I decided to do it standing and I start trying to think about things I'm grateful for. And I've had a gratitude practice for years. And normally it goes something like grateful for the sun, grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my body being healthy. And I was thinking about it and I thought, what is gratitude exactly? And I thought, okay, it's appreciation or thankfulness. And then I thought, no, those are synonyms. Those are three separate emotions. They're similar, but they're not we're not pinpointing it and you know aim small miss small to actually deeply experience something you have to get into the nitty-gritty so i break i googled it <laughs> i found a couple different definitions but the one that really stuck for me was that gratitude is the feeling of receiving a gift or a favor from the universe god or another living entity and i thought that's a different kind of feeling than just appreciation or thankfulness this realization that something good is coming to you and it has nothing to do with you it is truly just a gift bestowed upon you yeah i'm here i'm living this is a gift yeah and then i remember this quote i'd heard from a podcast it was a uh, by this guy who's a vocal coach for speakers and i speak took a vocal speaking class but i love this podcast and he said it's really important to pause after you say something impactful because people hear things two ways they hear them cognitively and they hear them emotionally and we remember things that we emotionally tag. Mm -hmm. So if you don't allow people that pause, then they actually won't remember it. And you are doing them a disservice by speaking too quickly and not taking a moment. Yeah. And I realized that if you're practicing gratitude, you are talking to yourself. You have to pause. And if not, it's kind of like a frog jumping on lily pads. You're making ripples in the water, but you're not getting wet. You're not engaging your emotional system. Yeah. So I started again and I thought, I'm so grateful that my body is healthy. I'm 35. 
I'm in one of, or I guess at the time, 34, I'm in one of the most explosive and injury prone events in track and field. And I'm healthy. That is a blessing. And I sat in it because I've had a lot of injuries. But wow, that's amazing. And it started to flood my system. And then I thought, wow, I have such a supportive family. I've got this access to this cabin. My parents are really supportive. My friends are really supportive. They know I'm going through this transition time and I have all these people in my life. And I sat in again. And I kept doing this. And I noticed my posture started to change. I started to breathe differently. I was like, oh, wow, that feels good. And then I thought about the posture cue of the cue of someone drawing a string up the top of your head so that your chin drops little, your spine gets long. And I did that. And my posture expanded again and the feeling of gratitude expanded with it. And I thought, of course, different emotions have different postures. Frustrated mm -hmm. people stand with their shoulders hunched. Sad people walk a little bit like curled over. Angry people, every, everybody has a different posture for a different emotion. Yes. And I started to cue myself into this gratitude posture. I had a cue with the top of my head. Um, your tongue is actually important for your posture. And I pressed my tongue to the roof of my mouth, which assisted the entire line of my head. Um, and then I thought, right, your face is a part of your posture. Your face is muscles and your face supports everything. Your eyes can dictate where your body goes. Everything matters. And just like there is a facial expression for sadness or happiness or joy or love, they're all nuanced. But if your face is neutral, you're actually not activating the entire body and you're not using facial feedback theory. When you're happy, you smile. When you smile, it makes you happy. It's a two-way feedback loop. And so I smiled and I got this huge neural flush up my face, down the back of my spine, into my chest and whoop, this huge like explosion of gratitude in my chest and started to flood my whole body. And I was kind of taken aback by how intense it really was after about, I've been doing this for about two, three minutes. And then I thought, hmm, if gratitude is just on the scale of emotions, and it's somewhere, it's one of the first positive emotions. It's the most reachable emotion because all it relies on is you recognizing that something is coming to you that you had nothing to do with. It's harder to tap into joy sometimes, especially if you're coming from like depression or anger or grief. Gratitude is the most reachable emotion. It's not toxic positivity. It's just recognizing stuff. And I thought, oh, it's not a staircase. It's not levels because we just assign words to communicate with each other, to know the difference between gratitude, appreciation, love transcendence they're all different but they're just a scale and they're a mixture we experience them in a cocktail so to speak in different cocktails and different ratios i thought oh i've been in love before i'll just go into that face posture go into that body posture remember what that physical feeling feels like mm -hmm. and i brought it up and it just kind of exploded through my body where i was maxed out on gratitude and this this energy went all the way through my spine up to the top of my head and every idea that I've been thinking about, about high performance, about how to help athletes take in habits in a more sustainable way to help them get to the next level. Before I was just connecting these little lines, like I was shining a flashlight around a room and just kind of seeing how things connected. But then it was like, I just burst open this light and I saw all the dots and it connected in my brain, just like ding, 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 ding. And sounds I like that's that holistic perspective. It was like, massive bird's eye view of my entire life yes. and all of a sudden it, everything just connected in that moment and I thought right our brain functions differently in frustration than in joy or in love it mm -hmm. literally like when you see red you see narrow yes you do not see anything outside of that view 
from a visual perspective and from a thought perspective, it literally cuts you off because you're hyper-focused because it's a survival mechanism. Yes. When you are in love or gratitude or a higher emotional state, you have more information accessible to you because you are basking in awareness instead of hyper-focused. We need both, but time and place for each. You, you need both of them. And I'm standing there and my shoulders have never been more open. And I'm blown away by this concept of like, wait a second, this is all connected and it's connected to emotional state and we don't teach anybody emotional training or emotional intelligence. So at this point I've been doing Ashtanga yoga for years, but it was the only thing I'd been doing basically for four months and like dancing a bit. And I thought I've been trying to do this one posture for a while. So I stood on one leg, put my opposite foot in my hip and I reached behind my back to try and grab my foot. And normally I get four to five inches away from my foot with my hand, but I was doing this cue. I was like, okay, feel gratitude, face cue, feel gratitude, head cue, feel gratitude, tongue cue. And I just went back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, because you can't do one all. They all have to build on each other. It's a spiral. And I reached behind my back and I palmed my entire foot. And I thought, wait a second. <laughs> if I can do gratitude training for three minutes and change my mobility by six to eight inches, what does that mean for training? What does that mean for throwing? What does that mean about the emotional state that I've been in all these years where I was heartbroken, frustrated, upset, injured, like feeling just like, why is this happening to me? Yes. And I realized it was because I felt like I deserved it because we all say, if you train hard, if you work hard, you will receive these things. You deserve these things. They will come to you. It's like, we think it's a given, but it's not. Everything is a gift. And you might put yourself in a position more likely to receive said gifts, but nothing is guaranteed. And I realized I've been living in this deserving state for so long that it had literally stopped me from full mobility, which means end range motion strength. And in javelin, you create a massive whip with your body. And I have not fully accessed that whip ever. Mm. And then I basically recommitted in that moment. And I thought, I need to train myself in this emotional state because I've been locking myself in my training into the posture of frustration. That was the undercurrent in so much of what I was doing. I was still happy, but there was this, in my cocktail of emotions under frustration was always there. Yeah. And ever since I've been very aware of my emotional state when I train and sometimes I don't train when I just can't pull myself out of it because I think I'm training myself to be strong in the wrong emotional state and I'm training the wrong movement. And since then I have, completely transformed the way my body moves. And that's been, what's been really exciting going into this Olympics. I love that. And I'm so excited for you. Oh, there's just so much gold there. And it just speaks like to the somatic piece, like the wisdom of the body. And just like that somatic piece, that's really important, especially with any sport, we're literally utilizing our body and we kind of forget all the power and wisdom our body holds and our emotions just play such an important role. Like you said, certain emotions. And I love when you said this, because this is something I work with um, in my trauma informed program, but certain emotions hold certain postures, right? And everything's a feedback loop and the postures will start to also promote certain thoughts, certain beliefs. Right. And then it's more than just, and I love when you said this, because this is like a, so important is that it's more than just training. And I think so many people just try to put more hours in the gym, more hours of all this cross training, just think I just need to be doing more and more and more to finally like break this barrier I've been experiencing. 
And like you have experienced, it's like not about doing more. It's about doing less with better intention and like better focus. Yeah. And I'm really, really excited for you. And you kind of did speak to the idea of like your take on the influence of emotions on posture. We spoke about that movement quality, um, which we can expand on and like power production. And when it comes to like movement quality from my perspective as well, really, I think of it from this trauma lens of like, anytime we're in these stuck emotions that live in the body, we're in these like small energetic configurations that are just like tight knit energy balls. And it's going to literally prevent us from having optimal movement and mobility because we're stuck in these energetic configurations. And the more that we're just with those emotions and process and feel through those emotions, it liberates that energy, which creates just more flow And hence mobility and movement becomes available. And I think it's even more important that it's not only just about the traumas we've experienced in life, big T or little T traumas, but then it also is layered for athletes when it comes to actual physical injury, right? Like physical injuries are also something that we have to account for and realize that that is impacting our body. Even if we go through a recovery process, if we're not doing the emotional recovery piece with that and just the physical, that emotion and stuck tissue and and damaged tissue on a cellular level is still the undercurrent and underlying of what's driving everything. What is your take on that? Yeah. I mean, it's all true. What's interesting is I like to think that I've become, I'm an expert in holistic high performance. I like to say like, I'm like Wikipedia for like, go look here. I don't know like perfectly everything about one thing, but I've got a really good bird's eye view of how many things are connected. Yes. And in hosting online events for a couple of years, I hosted over 200 win the mornings during the pandemic. And so what I basically do is I teach people how to take on five high performance habits for their morning and how to actually like, how to actually want to take on this habit. And I realized it's, you need to know the minimum effective dose for something. And you need to have a story that resonates with someone. You need to give them a fun fact or something that's just like, they're like, that's a good reason to do that. Mm-hmm. Like that is a personally valid reason for me to do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about the stuff and think emotions. Oh yeah. It affects this, it affects that. How do, how do you actually do it? And how do you do it? So it's not like 20 minutes of meditation and 20 minutes of breath work and 20 minutes of journaling. And like this thing where it becomes this overwhelming part of your life. Mm-hmm. And the way I like to think about it. And the reason why my hair is dyed pink is that I like to think that I'm just consciousness dropped into an avatar and it's like a video game. When, if I dropped in, you are here now, today is the day you can't change the past. You've dropped into this body. What is the story that this body has? I am a six foot one person with a certain amount of strength and a certain amount of movement patterns and a certain history. And my skill points are that I am tall. I am exceptionally intelligent. I can learn very, very quickly. And I have ADD, so I'm willing to like block out everything to do one thing. So I have to work within some of these parameters, for example. But the thing is, you can change your avatar in so many ways. You can change it all the time. You can change the way you think by certain applying certain psychological principles. You can change the way you look by the way you train. Uh, You can change how coordinated you are. A lot of this just, but you have to remember that it is all changeable. The avatar can be changed. You've just done certain things to this point to make it this way. 
So with that, you have to think, I like to think, okay, well, how do I change my emotional state? If it's an avatar and your history informs your personality or a big chunk of it, the question is, is what other versions of your personality and alternate realities could you have? And so I would test out these different things where I'd go to the gym and I think, okay, I kind of have a very serious look on my face all the time. And I'm six, one and Jack, I'm kind of intimidating to people. And I realized I was having these weird interactions with people where they kind of come into my space. So they'd be kind of weird. Yeah. And I thought, okay, there's the version of me that I understand myself to be. And there's what I project to the world. And then there's other people's vision of what they are seeing on top of their personal, what they think that represents to them. And then there's the gap in between those two things, what they think and what I think. And whatever feels like it's not aligned, I like to think that I have a pretty strong impact on showing people who I am. So I started showing up at the gym and I'd have a smile on my face and I started dancing at the gym, not like big outrageous dances, but just like little happy dances in between sets. And I noticed it started to change. Well, me, I was having a really good time, but everybody's energy towards me shifted. I was no longer the tall kind of like imposing person at the gym. I was a person who people would come and talk to and say, what you're doing looks really cool. Yeah. And they'd be excited to find out. And it not only shifted my energy, it shifted the way I moved because I felt comfortable in the gym. Mm. And so it's not fake it till you make it where you just pose and just pretend you're thinking it. You think, what would an approachable person be like? What would their energy come off as? How would you like gift your energy to people? And you can start to play with these different variations. Okay, well, the avatar could be more confident. How would it be more confident? Well, if you know what you're doing, then you're confident because you know exactly what you're giving to people. That's what confidence is knowing your skill set and acting in accordance with it. So I'd just be like, right, I'd remind myself my skill set. And then I'd walk around with like great confidence. And I'd say, okay, well, sometimes I can be a little blunt and that comes off as rude. Well, what would warmth feel like? And I would just practice warmth. And so you can make these shifts to your personality simply by practicing them. And it's not that it's fake, it's that it's form. Yes. And when we start practicing things, when I start practicing certain, certain things, I think this feels really good and in alignment with who I would want to be and how I want to be perceived. Yes. And then it wasn't that I was trying on things that weren't me. It was that I was trying on options that I hadn't really considered to put at the forefront. And that was a really great way to start shifting it because I don't need to think about, yes, you can do breath work that can accelerate. Yes, you can do meditation that can accelerate things too. But Simply playing these games started to shift the way I thought, the way I felt, the way I moved. And it made me more open and curious. And that was just the, the beginning of shifting everything was make it a game, make it easy. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's really just the the embodiment. And I think one of the little nuances that you were speaking to, and you kind of mentioned at the end, was instead of, I think one of the things that people kind of end up in that smaller emotion and um, there's more frustrating, lower vibration emotions is like this idea of I have to like, or I, or like this, like really neediness of like, oh, I really want to feel confident or I really want to feel approachable versus bringing the curiosity. I think you really like hit the nail on the head with this idea of like, make it fun, make it an exploration, make it just curious. Like I'm curious, like if I showed up in this way, you know, what would happen. And I think that really helps the mind, which is really resistant to change, mm -hmm. kind of lower its defenses in like exploring this new way of being. 
because like you said, it is foreign. And with anything foreign, the mind is going to be like, well, it's not familiar. It's unsafe. Let's not go there. And that can really lock us from like stepping into that future vision that we have for ourselves, because then we just feel locked into like, this is, I guess, the version of me that I always have to be because I have so much resistance and shifting. And it's like, if you just look at it through the lens of curiosity and play and exploration, it really helps the mind calm down. Cause you're not necessarily saying, well, this is how we're going to be from now on. Right. You're just kind of being like, let's just play. Let's just see what happens. And then when we start to experience that feed, uh, that feel good, that positive reinforcement and feedback, it starts to kind of open up our nervous system and like kind of this access of like, well, this feels good. And I want to kind of live here and like, we can kind of play in this and let's extend it a little bit longer. One of the things I love to do that you kind of, um, kind of mentioned with this exploration process is that's why I love to like, I I love to give myself challenges because it's like, I'm not, I'm committing to an extent, but there, I'm not saying for the rest of my life, I have to do this thing. But I'm saying, okay, 14 days, this is my challenge, right? And then kind of, it gets to be a game for me. And then because if you are committing to that for 14 days, chances are there's going to be some type of shift, you know, that happens. And then you can kind of always assess, was this just fun? And we're going to kind of stay where we are. Do we want to continue? You know, it always just gets to be this, I think coming back to that idea of autonomy and like choice too, I think it's really important, but that was such a beautiful share. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. Were you going to say something? I lost it. Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to shift into a little bit because I'd like to dive into, you had mentioned some of the programs that you do, um, but I'd mm. love to just ask you about how your movement um, outside of javelin training and like, in other words, cross training has shifted with this new kind of knowledge around movement and how our emotions are related to that. Um I, because you had mentioned strength training and that it can be a little bit outdated in some of the ways that people approach it, but what do you do to enhance your athleticism now in conjunction with your javelin training? And has that changed so, from before? I have not thrown a javelin properly, like trained for, to throw in a javelin since um, the end of August last year. So it's been almost 14 months. Wow. I've taken 10 months completely off of throwing before when I was broken. Like it was like, I was not able to move. I could barely like get out of bed. And so I was going from like negative to just healthy. And now I'm going from healthy to transformed. Yeah. And the reason why I'm not throwing javelin yet isn't because I'm, I don't want to. It's because I know that when you shift your body in a massive way and you function physically differently, like I move differently than I ever have before. Then when I go back to javelin, I want to be really competent and say, this is roughly like, I've got like 80% of how I want to move is really kind of like, I've got a hold on it. And then I go and throw from that place. So I've picked up a javelin a couple of times when I've gone through Uh, some retraining of my knee and the bounciness of my body. I did it again when I understood elasticity different. And I don't think about javelin now in terms of positions and postures. I think of them as movement sequences. I think of javelin as a dance sequence. And you have to understand momentum, gravity, balance points. And I never thought about those things so deeply before. Then I was into dance more. And then I started to really understand weight transfers. And I thought, oh, I've never spent time understanding weight transfer. 
picked up a javelin again and just it was just little standing throws and I thought oh wow I can feel how wrong the old technique was and I need to rewire this I'm like not yet and then I got into tricking and I really understood movement and core integration and then now I'm doing a bit of boxing because I want to understand foot transfer from the floor or weight transfer from the floor into my hand and that's kind of the last piece that I'm integrating before I go into javelin throw. I so it's people say, Oh, when are you training? When are you, when is training serious? I'm like, training has been serious since January. Like it's just, it's just great. It not everything needs to be so intense. And my workouts have nothing to do with intensity and everything to do with how much did I learn this movement? Did I create a shift in the quality of the movement? And I do something until I'm either bored of doing it or when I get a little bit frustrated and I knew that like I've hit my edge for the day. Yeah. And I kind of rely on this 10% outside my comfort zone because we often get injured when we try and like go further than we're actually comfortable with, because when we are uncomfortable, when we are in fear or discomfort, it's an emotion, our posture changes. And then we try and do something from a place of poor movement or of movement that does not serve the thing we want to do. When I throw a javelin in the Olympic Stadium in Paris, I want to walk in there feeling confident, excited, like feeling in my body, curious, like being a part of something. And that is going to be my emotional cocktail. Yeah. And if I'm not simulating that when I throw, when I train, if I'm in fear, if I'm in worry, if I'm like not in not enough, then that's the place I'm going to move from. Yes. Mm. So I've been really recalibrating everything and I'm now throwing med balls. I'm doing rope throw. So before it was all like dance. So it was like transferring energy within my body. Yeah. And now I'm transferring energy outside of my body into a rope, which is still attached to my body. Yeah. And then I'm also doing med ball now, which is transferring energy outside of the body, but it's moving from the middle. I'm not moving from a hyperextended position like javelin. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it is all about my training is all about move from the middle. The spine is the engine that you're connected to the floor. And you're connected to whatever implement you're going to throw. And so everything is around that. So I'll be throwing probably, I think I'm going to do med ball for another three weeks, two months. And then I'll start getting into the throw. So everything has changed. I wear Vivo barefoots now, which are amazing. I've been training barefoot forever. I've done ring work. I've done dance. I've done movement. I've done tricking. I've done break dancing. I'm, I do everything because it's the whole point is you have to be a fully integrated human. Yes. And like, I even started to sing because you resonate from your chest and every movement is associated with the sound. So it's all just this big human integration ball that's being prepared before I go back to javelin. And then I can finesse everything while I finesse my new javelin technique. I love that. Yeah. That's such a big belief I have too, that just the more integrated you are internally is literally what is going to help you excel externally in performance. Mm -hmm. And it's always about coming within, understanding yourself on all the different levels, integrating all those parts. And it's in that wholeness of integration where your performance externally is really going to be its optimal peak. Yes, we are on the same page and that's beautiful. So I'm so, so excited for you. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about some of the, the ventures you have. When the morning, I think you spoke to a little bit the power yeah. of daily wins, physiology of gratitude, just like what are they in a nutshell and what is the intention behind them? They're all workshops. 
uh, win the morning is the one I've been doing longest. And it's just five step minimum effective dose science backed morning routine where I basically give people, they can do a series if they like, or they have a buffet of options. And it's just why hydration before caffeination is important. That's what How I think. Yeah. One minute of meditation, very useful, like not as good as 20, but minimum effective dose. Um, we talk about claiming your blank slate before your phone claims your thoughts for you, how to take a cold shower and not freak out. And uh, then 90 seconds of movement. So I take people through that. I've like I've hosted like every major tech company in the world, I feel like at some point just with the pandemic because they were doing it in teams. Yeah. And then the power of daily wins is something that I love for avatar upgrades. And avatar mm -hmm. upgrades is physical, mental, emotional, personality, whatever you want to do. It's your skill set. And it's important because every night when we sleep, we, we basically integrate the day and we are a new person every single day because we live in 24 hour cycles. And, you know, something major happens in our lives, a breakup or a new job or like a big personal best or whatever, something big happens and you wake up the next day and you're like, wow, I'm different from now on. But sometimes it's not as, you know, it's a lot more subtle than that most of the time, unless you're doing it on purpose. And you say, oh, for the next 14 days, I'm going to experience this. I'm going to try and be warmer. I'm going to try and be confident. I'm going to understand this emotion better. I'm going to release this belief that I'm a total klutz and I'm going to try to dance, whatever. And so if every day you write down, okay, what did I do today that contributed to this vision of me being this way? So one of my visions is that I am insanely coordinated and athletic. And it's based on the belief that I can learn anything. I, like I learn very quickly and I tell myself all the time, I learn very quickly. I don't say I'm coordinated and athletic. I say I learn very quickly. And so I can become this. Yes. And so every day what I do is I write down what did I notice today that shifted even so lightly that I got just 10% better at something or 1% better at something because I dedicated a little bit of attention to it. Yes. And then every single day when I wake up, I have this calendar. It's like a month long calendar. And I believe the month long calendar is important. Because when you have a shit day with, where nothing happens, you see every other day before and you're like, you know what? This is my first shit day in two weeks. <laughs> it's okay. Like I see it adding up. There's going to be days where you don't really make progress. Yeah. And that's like one of the most important things that you can teach about. Yeah. And then the physiology of gratitude is a lot of what we talked about. How to, I teach people how to induce an emotional state. I walk them through it. I teach people how gratitude is actually a sociological safety mechanism because it helps ingratiate you towards other people, appreciate other people, and form higher levels of team chemistry. And there's ways to do it, and most people do it wrong. Um, and then lastly, my, uh, my last thing is body church, which has been the way I train a lot for the last couple months is, or when I was first retired, I was doing yoga. And... I realized I didn't want to do it for five breaths or for this amount of time or in this sequence. And I actually started, I, so I'd start with a sequence and then I think, Oh, I want to explore this posture more. And I hated going to class because we'd all have to go to the next pose. Yeah. So I just do it at home, throw on some music. And I just kind of work through the posture on my own or try something different to try and open up some aspect that was being limited within that one posture. Yeah. And I started following my physical intuition and figuring it out. And I now have a series that starts with how to breathe a certain way, how to transfer breath into your body, how to activate your core, your deep core muscles, how to move from the spine and then radiate that energy outward. 
and then how to release a bunch of tension in your shoulders and in your neck so that you can start actually powering everything from the spine and transferring it into the arms or grounding in the legs. And it's cool because the whole point is never go 10% beyond your comfort zone. It's all about joy. And you close your eyes and I basically teach people how to create their own internal map. And mm-hmm. as you close your eyes, your visual system wants something to do. And so it starts attaching kinesthetic feelings like pressure or stretch or gravity or momentum to points and lines. And I think about the body as a constellation with all these stars that are now being linked in this 3D map. And once people have that, they walk differently and they run differently and they approach every single movement that they do in their life with a little bit more awareness and grace. So it's, it's all a workshop. I love that. Oh, so fun. Um, and I would absolutely, um, be putting like links that you have for all of these, any of these in the show notes as well. So for those interested in diving into any, we will absolutely be having that in the show notes. Um, I'd love as we kind of wrap up the last few questions, um, any advice that you have for athletes who are apprehensive about diving into their emotions? I mean, this is a really big thing that comes up is just that idea of like, ah, it, it sounds awesome with the results you could possibly get. And it sounds scary. Just what advice yeah. do you have for those who have that apprehension? Well, I think there's two ways that we do things. We say, we basically, we do this to ourselves all the time where we think about all the things we're doing bad so that we can then think about the opposite to do the things that we're doing well. But it's kind of like saying, don't think about a purple elephant. Like, okay, so the fact that I said don't doesn't make you think, not think about the purple elephant. You're still going to think about the purple elephant. So if you want to, if you want to say, don't be self-conscious, that's not helpful. It's one step backwards and then you have to take two steps forwards to move forward. And so your progress is slower. And while it's important at times to, again, trauma-informed lens, know what's going on. It's not about faking positivity, but it is about, okay, what are some emotions that my future self would really like? What is my ideal emotional cocktail? And understanding that. So as I said, for me, it's confidence, it's support, it's grace, it's joy. That's kind of like, it's gratitude for being here, for being healthy. And so what I'd say is pick three to five things that you think would be a cool emotional cocktail to experience. Then look up each of those words and think about it for a second and dive into it. Okay. Think about like the definition of gratitude and be like, where have I felt gratitude previously? Or an example from my past, or you can make a future memory and you'd say, what would make me, what would, when would I feel supremely grateful? What would that look like? Like in my sport, in my relationships, in my work, when do I experience gratitude? Because now you're painting a visceral image in your head relative to this new definition, this understanding. And again, if we have an emotional understanding, the more visceral we visualize something and understand it, the more we can tap into it. We understand it not just cognitively, but physically and emotionally. So once you've gone through those emotions, then you think, oh, okay, now I've had a taste of each of those. What would they all feel like together? Yes. And you only have to do this exercise once, really, the first time to be like, oh, this is what it feels like. (laughs) And then you can tap back into it over and over again. And you can think about like, okay, if that's my ideal performance state, this is what I will feel. This is what I want to feel like in Paris. This is where I'm going to start, but it might change. I might add something to it later because I think, oh, 
it was just a lighthouse. I'm going in this direction, but I can shift as I go. Yeah. And so the more you have something positive to tap into when you have crappy days, it's like, okay, I know the difference. Okay. So what does deep frustration feel like? What does deep sadness feel like? What does a lack of self-confidence feel like? And you can also understand those things and really feel into the physicality of it. And you will notice your posture change. Yeah. You will notice your energy change. And so you can play with both of these things and it's just an exploration. But I think having that beacon is really, really important when you do emotional work because you don't want to just think, oh, these are all the shit feelings, but I understand these shit feelings really well now. Like you have to be able to have somewhere like you need a life raft to pull yourself to. Yes. I love that. That's such, such great advice. Amazing. And I don't know that you have one, but I was curious to know if you have any particular motivational person or quote that you've carried with you over the years or you know, just as a high-performing athlete, I know that we tend to, or maybe a book that you really recommend. Um, I'd love for you to kind of share what it is for you. Got lots of books. Um, but one quote that I've loved for a long time is the universe gives you what you need, not what you think you want. Mm. And it comes back to the concept that you can be grateful for favors and gifts from the universe, but lessons are gifts too. Yes. And if you keep experiencing the same thing, then you haven't learned the lesson. And like, so you have to ask yourself like, okay, why am I continually experiencing this in my relationships? Why am I continually experiencing this in sport? Why am I continually experiencing this emotional state that I don't enjoy? Because negative emotions are, they're signs. They're experiences. They're not places we want to live. They're places that we experience. We think, oh, that's giving me a question. Why am I frustrated? Why am I sad? Why am I angry? Why am I this? And then you can come back to your baseline of being in gratitude or being in joy or being in just like calm, whatever. So when you understand that the universe is giving you what you need, life becomes a lot easier. Like I've been to three Olympics. If I'd won the last Olympics or the one before, I would have never gotten into emotional training. I would have never understood this thing. And I would have propagated this idea in sport that if you control everything down to the minute detail and you do everything just right and you have no social life and you don't prioritize your social relationships, your emotional, your emotions or your spirituality, then you can achieve this. Yeah. And that was never what I wanted to do in sport. And that's why it was so important to me to come back for fourth games. Because if I come back and I say, I did it with ease and I did it with joy and I trained my emotional system and I trained, I did not overtrain. I listened to my body. Like I had a mildly sore throat yesterday. I laid on the couch and did nothing. And I hydrated. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I'm kind of a little bit sick, but I'm go I got to go train today. No, like respect your body. So that's what I really want to bring forward. And that one quote is something that if every time something kind of crappy happens or even someone cuts you off in traffic, well, guess what? You might've gotten into a worse accident because it, they scared you so much because you weren't paying enough attention to the road. It's a gift. They're telling you pay attention. So everything is a gift. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I've noticed as I've done more emotional work with myself over the, the years, it's actually funny. I am often say like, it's almost hard for me now. Like actually the resistance I feel now is actually pushing my body. Whereas like before I used to easily push myself, like push, 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 push. But through all the healing work now, I'm like, when my body is telling me today, you rest. I'm like, okay, 
like it's actually hard for me to be like okay no I gotta go I'm like no like literally I can't even bring myself to do this like I, I just need to honor my body and so I really love that you said that because being such a high performer I athletes need to hear that they need to hear it from someone other than me just hounding them all the time that gets to be another way and that way is actually more fruitful and leads to even better performance and a, a variation of that quote that I actually like a lot and I actually just made a post on it on Instagram yesterday was that the universe only gives you what you need when you're ready to receive it which which kind of like brought up uh, came up for me when you had said like if I would have won the Olympics before right and it's like you weren't necessarily ready to receive that right what you needed was this exploration of what you've been going into, right? And so you're ready to receive that. So I'm so excited for you and would love to just finally ask, like, how can people connect with you uh, moving forward? Where do you like to hang out? What's the best way to communicate? Yeah, I'm basically just on Instagram. I had a TikTok for a while, but it was just a nightmare to create videos for both. And I thought, this is not the minimum effective dose. (laughs) So mainly on Instagram. And then obviously, uh, if you like, having a speaker for your team, for your corporate event, for an athlete, whatever, that's all available on my website. I can be reached on there. And then Body Church, I'll have, I have a link in my Instagram. So there's online classes on Thursdays at 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. PST. So I made EST friendly times. Mm -hmm. And then in Vancouver, I do Body Church and I do it live as a workshop, but it's, uh, it's very cool. And I love to say it is a workshop, not a class, because I give people tools that they carry with them for the rest of their lives. I've never had anyone come to my class and say, oh, yeah, I've done something like that before. So it's very unique. I love that. Yeah, we'll definitely put all of that in the show notes, um, including your website and your Instagram handle and everything like that. And again, as always, everyone who is tuning in, if there's any which there should be plenty of golden nuggets or things that really resonated or stood out to you or things that you learned, feel free to share it with us on Instagram, tag us at body by boss LLC and Liz's handle too. If you catch that in the show notes and we would just love to hear, you know, the takeaways that you had It's a very deep episode. And to be honest, I don't know if everybody really could grasp the, the depths of everything because it was a lot. There was a lot of layers, but it was so beautiful. The kind of conversations that I love having. And so this might be an episode that you want to come back to many times to really grasp uh, the pieces. Um, But it was such a beautiful time. Thank you so much, Liz, for spending your time with us and sharing your knowledge. You're extremely brilliant for sure. I could tell in the way that you put words together and express what you're thinking. Um, So I can really appreciate that. And I'm so excited for you in Paris and we'll definitely be following your journey. Thank you. This was a pleasure. It was great.